Good to see all of you today, and we know that some of you are probably here traveling from some other distant place, not as far as the Magi came, but uh, uh, we're glad you're here just the same, and uh, this is really a traveling time. I hope you're enjoying your Christmas festivities. Uh, we'd like you to take your Bibles here, if you would, and open them to Matthew chapter 1, the very first book in the New Testament, and the very first chapter, Matthew chapter 1. As you look at 2021, I know that a number of you are rejoicing for various reasons. Some of you are hurting for various reasons. Our prayer is that the Christmas story, very familiar to most of us, uh, will become fresh to you and give you fresh hope and encouragement. I know that a few of our families have, uh, have actually adopted children in this year. This Talk about a highlight for the year, okay? Uh, you saw Amy Hambly up here singing. Uh, this is their daughter, Ellie, who just became Ellie Hambly here recently. This is her introducing herself at the children's program. <laughs> I mean, you can't get any better than that, can you? So just the other day, I was at an adoption uh, ceremony right here at the church. It wasn't for Ellie. It was for another family in our church, actually adopting two children through Zoom with the lawyer and the judge, the family, the grandmas and grandpas and, uh, you know, aunts and uncles. And it was a big, big deal. It was the first time I sat in one of those. It was filled with anticipation and joy and lots of questions. I also noticed something else. Legal exactness through the whole process. Because it had to be done right. And uh, the transfer of names was a very powerful, powerful moment for me personally. Uh, and in that moment, those precious children, and this is just the other day, clearly not the biological children of the parents-to-be, became their children just as much as, a, if, as if they had had them naturally. In that moment, they didn't just take on the family name. They became family, which is pretty cool. Wouldn't you agree? So, I also noticed something else. So, just to keep, you know, bring these parents down to you know, terra firma again. The kids that were being adopted, they were completely oblivious as to what was going on there. I mean, they were fussing and crying. They are utterly distracted. They had no idea of the enormity of what was happening to them in that moment. So how does this apply to us? All who trust, really trust in King Jesus are adopted into the family of God. And we just saw this uh, in, our, as we, you know, in our study of Ephesians, which we dropped off on, where it says, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. So what does all this have to do what is this all uh, with, with Jesus and him coming into this world? Qu actually, quite a bit. So just to remind you, if you've been with us, we have started this Life of Christ series. It's going to take us through Easter, beyond Easter, the whole enchilada from a 20,000-foot view. And we saw these first few weeks that Jesus, from John 1, is God. That Jesus is also man. He is the God-man. And those who follow him 
really follow him. We adopt him, figuratively speaking, into our own hearts. So you'll hear the word adopt means to take up, to follow. That's what it means. And so we might say we adopt him because he first adopted us. And as we'll see, Jesus understood what it was like to actually be adopted. Now, the doctrine of the incarnation, that's a, that's a theological word, incarnate, in flesh, that's what it means. That is where you have perfect humanity united with undiminished deity, that is godness, together forever. That's Jesus Christ, the God-man. That doctrine is so central to Christianity, it's where so many other cults, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Jews, and many cults, uh, they, they, they jump off the boat and drown on this very doctrine. They just can't go there and see Jesus as both God and man united together forever. But as we've seen, as we've mentioned the last few weeks, he is both God and man. As man, he can understand you. As God, he can save you. But to physically come into this world, as a baby no less, into this sin-cursed world, would take supernatural means for him to remain untainted because of what the scripture tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Wherefore, by one man sin came into the world, that's Adam, and death through sin. So sin passed to all men for all sinned in Adam, right? So somehow or another, supernaturally, God has to cut that tainting of sin off in Jesus' life so that he can take your sin and mine to himself as the perfect Lamb of God, which is exactly what he did. Thank you very much. The, the familiar Christmas story explains briefly uh, and, and it will explain how this indeed took place. And we're going to re-familiarize ourselves with this story. And so briefly, beginning in verse 18, I want you to notice a miraculous pregnancy. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, notice, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the what? From the Holy Spirit. So you have a miraculous Pregnancy. This is the virgin conception of Jesus. You have a noble husband. Next verse. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, this causes some people to scratch their heads. I thought they were engaged, not married. I thought they were betrothed. To be betrothed means to be engaged. So why would he have to divorce her? Because in Jewish tradition, to be engaged, to be betrothed, was, had the same strength of marriage. So much so that if you were engaged to someone else, it would take a writ of divorce to break it up. Hence, he goes to divorce Mary. But he does so in a noble way. He loves Mary. He doesn't understand it. She's obviously been with another man. He can't conceive in his own mind how that could have happened, how she could have pulled it off, but it's absolutely impossible for a woman to get pregnant without another man being in her life, right? It's impossible, but nothing is impossible with God, right? So, but he being noble puts, he, he, instead of publicly shaming her, 
He resolves to do this in a quiet kind of way for love for, of his, uh, his fiancée. Thirdly, we have a divine explanation. So God comes in and explains it, the next verse. But as Joseph considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, notice how he's described, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Again, Joseph is called the son of David. And this is the reason why, this is where he plays his role so importantly in the Christmas story. Joseph was the parent who came from the kingly line of David, which was necessary for the king. We're told that in 2 Samuel 7. We're told that in Isaiah chapter 11. We're told that in Jeremiah chapter 23 and in other places in the Old Testament. Joseph served as the royal line Jesus was required to come through to become the king. And he would become the earthly means of Jesus' protection. In the next chapter, when Herod is tricked and he goes to kill the babies in Bethlehem, Joseph is warned, take your family, head south. And he protects Jesus, humanly speaking. He was also responsible for his upbringing. Listen to this. All as a non-biological stepdad to Jesus. And by the way, this is the second time you're looking, that's the second time the Holy Spirit is referenced here and mentioned, he's mentioned in this, in this passage. So as to show to you, you and I that the conception of Christ in the womb of Mary was a divine supernatural thing. Let's, we, it does hearken us over to Luke chapter 1, I want you to see, this is, the, this is where Mary is dialoguing with Gabriel, who just told her she's going to have a baby. She says, how can this be? I'm still a virgin. That's not possible. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called, what? Holy, the Son of God. So here you have a divine explanation for what was going on. And I don't really, this is unfathomable to me, and it should be to you. I don't know what was going on here. This has never happened before. It's never happened since. It'll never happen again. But God, the Holy Spirit, it says, the text says, overshadowed Mary. I think because of Romans 5, 12, that sin comes through the man, I think he canceled out the sin. It's definitely, he had Mary's makeup, humanly speaking, but other than that, there was no sin. That's why Jesus could be holy. And then the angel tells Joseph the saving purpose of it all in the very next verse. She, Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name, what? Jesus. And the next word for there, you could write in your Bible because, because it's a conjunction, which means because. Jesus, the name Jesus means God or, or the Lord saves, Jehovah saves. That's what it means. So he's saying to you, he's saying to Joseph, you gave him the name Jesus, and here's why. Because he's going to live up to his name. That's why. He's going to save his people from their sins. I think it was Spurgeon who was walking through a cemetery one day, and you can imagine being startled when he saw this, he saw this gravestone and what was etched on it, sacred to the memory of Methuselah Coney, died at six months. He was struck by the fact that these parents gave their child a name. And Methuselah, the oldest man to ever live, 969 years, right? 
This one lives six months. But Jesus lived up to his name, did he not? He came to save us from our sins. And then you have a fulfilled prophecy, the very next verse. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, this is Isaiah, 700 years earlier. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name, what? Emmanuel. And this is really cool. Matthew does the exegesis for us. Matthew does the exposition for us. Matthew says, oh, by the way, in case you don't know what Emmanuel means, it means what? God with us. He does the preaching for us here to let us know who Jesus is, the God-man. Beautiful. And then you have an obedient stepfather. We're going back to Joseph. When it says, Joseph woke from the dream, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth. Notice, I've emphasized that for you, to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Mary's virginity is mentioned just in this section I read, no less than six times. And then if you throw the earlier part of chapter one in, you can throw a couple other references to show that she was miraculously a virgin yet conceived. And in a sense, Joseph adopted Jesus. It wasn't a legal ceremony, but for all intents and purposes, did you notice it was he, verse 21, and in verse 25, it was Joseph, not Mary, who gave Jesus his name. Now, that was tradition, but that's, he gave him his name. Back to those hearings and the, uh, the adoption hearing I was at the other day. A lot of questions. Like, can you confirm the date of the birth? Uh, when, did you, when did they move in with you? What are their names? They had to be very exact on their names. And there's, all, there's even a discrepancy at this point. They had the lawyer and the judge went back and forth. Boom. Very exact. Do you promise to raise them as your own as if you birthed them? That was an awesome question. And another. Do you understand that once adopted, this child will have all the same inheritance rights as any child born to you? I, I just... I just soaked every one of these questions in. I thought about my relationship to God and what happens when he adopted me or when he adopted you or those of you who have yet to be adopted. I don't know what questions were going through Joseph's head, but the next scene in chapter 2 would confirm that this, this baby, he was for all intents and purposes adopting, not as the biological parent, this baby he was raising was a king. And here it is, chapter 2, the first 12 verses. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, magi, or wise men, from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. There's their purpose. When Herod, the king, heard this, notice he didn't see the star, he just heard. That's a big deal. He was troubled, the word means to be shaken, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people, which is a brilliant move because they hated each other, the scribes and the priests. I'll explain that in a little bit. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For it's written by the prophet Micah. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, or Judah, 
are by no means least among the rulers of, of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men and secretly, and, and that is secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. This is probably, this is where we guesstimate the, uh, the breath of the murder of the children in Bethlehem. It was from this conversation. You know, when they showed up, he's ascertaining kids that are born, how old are they now? Anyway. And he sent them to Bethlehem. He sent them to Bethlehem. Notice that. Saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, so that I too may come and worship him. Liar. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, and it's a house, it's not a stable anymore. Jesus is probably somewhere between two months and a year old. They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in the dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Here's how we're going to spend the balance of our time this morning. Three responses to the adopted King Jesus from this passage. Three. And here they are. I think we can find ourselves in one of these categories, by the way. Anger, apathy, or adoration. There you go. Anger, apathy, or adoration. First, the anger. Well, we know who we're talking about here, right? We're talking about King Herod. Herod was, in history, he would, on anybody, on any reputable historian's list, he'd be top 10 diabolical rulers to ever rule anywhere on the face of the earth. He was a paranoid megno, meg, megalomaniac. And the fact that he was a king made him triply dangerous to be around. He killed anyone, and I mean anyone. He had a whiff of jealousy over. He killed sons, plural. He killed wives, plural. In fact, he, he had his favorite wife, the one he loved the most, executed. He drowned a son-in-law at a party. Hence the saying... This is like 4 BC. The saying back in the, these days was, it was uh, safer to be Herod's pig than his son. He was so fearful that no one would mourn him when he died. He had hundreds of priests gathered up and incarcerated to be executed the moment he died so that there would be crying in Jerusalem. Now, the, you know, the edict wasn't carried out, but talk about it, a narcissist on a capital level. This is that Herod. That's Herod we're talking about here. Is it any wonder that the whole Jerusalem was shaken and troubled over what was going on because, you know, it was Herod. Verse 16 tells us when Herod found out that he was tricked by the wise men, he became, and the ESV has a great translation, furious. That's the Greek word means exactly that. And that's where he issued the decree to killed all those babies and 
Bethlehem. He simply had no room in his own life for another king, for another ruler, which makes it very applicable to you and me and you watching online. This is exactly where some of you are. You give tacit praise to God, but you don't want him ruling your life. And the very thought of it makes you angry. And you can judge yourself by this very fact. What do you do when truth cuts across to your pride? What do you do when someone says to you, God reigns in the kingdom of men, and you must submit to him? What do you do when truth comes your way? Does it make you humble or does it make you hot? When the errors of your faith are pointed out to you, do you get defensive or do you submit to the word of God? I remember when I was working at John Deere, this guy I was working with was giving me tracts, little booklets on Christianity, how to become a Christian. And he gave me a booklet about the religion that I was a part of, and it really made me mad. I really revolted when he first gave In fact, I almost distanced myself from him. But all of those little booklets he gave me were just filled with Scripture, filled with truth. And the truth I was resisting was now drawing me in. I could not resist the truth. And Jesus said, no one can come to, the, come to me unless the Father draws him. And that's what happened to me. I was angry, but God softened my anger. And he'll do the same for you. If you're an angry person, when truth comes your way. By the way, have you ever noticed that no one ever walked away from Jesus, even as a baby, neutral? People reacted to Jesus. They either followed him or they became furious. Eventually, they killed him under the sovereignty of God. Amen? What about you? What is your response to the adopted king this morning? Are you angry? Would you allow God to transform your anger into adoration? That's one response. The next one, I'm not sure which is worse, anger or this one, apathy. Notice in verses 4 and 5 what happens when the magi show up the king gets a couple of individuals together. He assembles the chief priests and scribes of the people. Now, these two were diametrically opposed to one another. The chief, they were both religious, but the, the chief priests were the liberals. They didn't believe in all of the Old Testament. They were, they were very politically oriented. They, were not, they didn't love the Bible, but the scribes loved the Bible. They were, they were the scribes. They were conservative, plus. But Herod might have been a madman, but he wasn't stupid. <laughs> he put these two groups together to make sure he wasn't going to be tricked by them. And so they come together, the chief priest and the scribes come together, you know, so as not to be tricked. They do a quick web search and they come up with Micah 5 verse 2. <laughs> and they find out that there it is, Bethlehem. The Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. That's about five miles from here, King. By the way, was that true? This is not a trick question. Was that true? Yes, it was true. 
Was their study accurate? Yes, it was accurate. You think about it. Their study was accurate. Their conclusion was right. And that's where it ended. These guys, at least the scribes, should have been saddling their camels and followed those, that entourage of wise men. But no, they were apathetic, lethargic to the truth. And some of the most apathetic people I have met are those who could pass a Bible examination. You could pass a test on doctrine, on, the, on Christology, on the incarnation. Oh, you'd know the scripture to go to. But it's never changed your life. <sighs> it's just a whole hum to you. I don't know what's worse. Anger or apathy. If you don't apply truth, you probably don't really believe it. I'm just telling you that right now. When truth comes your way, you say, well, I don't get angry, but what do you do? Are you apathetic? Just because truth moved you is no guarantee that it changed you. Let me give that one to you again. Just because truth heard preached, somebody comes to you, you have a Bible study, somebody speaks it to you, just because truth moves you is not a guarantee that it has changed you. What are you doing right now with the truth that you know? Mark Twain once said, most people worry about those things in the scriptures which they do not understand. But as for me, the things I worry about most in the scriptures are the things I do understand. Oh, by the way, Mark Twain never became a Christian. And some of you aren't either. You've got more knowledge than so many others in this world, and you've not applied it to your heart. Three responses to the adopted Jesus, King Jesus. Anger, apathy, and adoration. Now we talk about the Magi. They're called wise men in verse 1. We get our English word magician, but they're not, you know, they're not magicians, okay? They're more like astrologers. And a lot of Bible expositors and commentators, and I'm inclined to agree with them, connect them to the area of Persia, where Daniel and the children of Israel were captive for 70 years. Daniel became second in all of that area for a long, I mean, the second most powerful man through a series of circumstances. And there are many, remember, he was the leader of the wise men. He was the leader of the magi. It's possible that hundreds of years later, this is a remnant of those who are true followers of Jehovah God. And this is how they would trace their knowledge of the Old Testament, back to Daniel. But, you know, I don't want to be the guy who debunks songs like I did last week, Radiant Beams from Thy Holy Face, and some of you, uh, whatever. How about We Three Kings? They weren't kings, 
I mean, we just sang the first Noel. I mean, and that song, it says, they look to the east. Let me tell you something. That guy was as directionally illiterate as I am. They weren't looking, they were looking to the west. They were from the east, but that's another song. We three kings. Where did you get that? Does the text say were three, there were three of them? Well, there's gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Okay. It does say they gave those gifts, and that's where we get there were three of them. But there was possibly more, possibly many more. And these three, and, and by the way, three dudes showing up on a camel would not draw a whole lot of attention. But just to sort of save, save that thought that's in your mind, oh, I got to quit thinking about those three guys on a camel, you know, or on camels. Verse 11 does say this. Look at verse 11. This is, and going into the house, they saw the child. And going into the house, that means they had to get into the house. So that tells me there can't be that many of them. There are a few things we do know. Their presence shook up the town. Did you see that in verse 3? Herod was troubled. The word means to be shaken. And remember, when Herod was rattled, heads rolled. That's why everybody was shook. And by the way, this was the off-season. This isn't Passover. It's not Pentecost. When Jerusalem would quadruple in size and even more from people coming from everywhere. This is the off-season. It's not that big. These Magi coming in, no doubt with an entourage of some kind, made waves. Their light led the way. Did you see that? We're talking about that star. We've seen his star, they said, right? Now, this is no ordinary star. I just heard a respectable theologian the other day say, well, you know, back then, uh, Saturn and Jupiter were lining up. What in the world? Get, are you off your biblical rocker? <laughs> just read the text for crying out loud. Whatever this, don't, when you think star, don't think, a, don't think a stellar star, but a luminary, some light. It appeared and then disappeared briefly, then reappeared, and then moves. It hovers and comes right over the house. Did you catch that? To lead them there. And by the way, did you notice the angry and the apathetic? They didn't see it. They never do. You never do. And you never will. If you're in the angry or apathetic crowd. They didn't see it. Unbelievers never do. I was hunting the other day with some friends. And uh, uh, we were, he was telling us this story. He says, I was, he goes, he goes, a few weeks ago, I was in a blind, which is on the ground, hunting deer with my nine-year-old son. And the, and the wind was in our face. It was perfect. The deer were coming right up to the blind. They were even poking their noses in the blind. And he said, he said, son, son. And then for the next 20 minutes, the deer are right up on the blind. And then they went off. And the dad goes, oh, that was so cool. Wasn't that cool, son? And he goes, I don't know, dad. I had my eyes closed the whole time. (laughs) 
That's half your problem, some of you. You got truth coming at you, flying from all angles, and you got your eyes closed the whole time. Open your eyes and behold the light of the world, Jesus Christ. If our gospel be hidden, the apostle Paul said, it's hidden to those who are lost in whom the God of this world, small g, Satan, has blinded the minds of those who do not believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine on them and you be saved. The light led the way. It still does, by the way, to those who open their eyes. Thirdly, their worship fulfilled their journey. You see in verse 2, they, they, they come to Herod. They say, hey, where is he born king of the Jews? Here's why we came these hundreds and hundreds, possibly thousands of miles. We've come to worship him. And then in verse 11, look at it again. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother, and they, what's it say? They fell down and worshiped, which is really redundancy because the word worship, proskuneo, means to fall down. But just so that Matthew, just so that you know what we're, what's, what's going on here, they fell down on their faces before a child, and they worshiped him. And they presented him with gold and frankincense and myrrh. Gold, the symbol of deity, the God-man. Frankincense, a very expensive perfume, which, by the way, Exodus chapter 30 says, was only to be offered to God. And myrrh, a less expensive perfume, most often used for embalming. So here you have a symbol of Jesus as God, Jesus as man, Jesus as the one who would die for us. Amen? What response do you give Jesus? How do you respond to Jesus Christ, the adopted king? Are you angry? Are you apathetic? See, some of you are like those kids at the adoption ceremony I was at. You're so distracted. You're so full of murmuring. You're so full of whiny fussing. Sorry, parents, didn't mean anything by it. But, but some of you are like that. You are oblivious to what, is, what God has done for you. And that has made you apathetic. Repent if that be the case. Or are you adoring? Ready to bow down to King Jesus and worship? Jesus is our adopted king. Will you adopt him? The word adopt means to choose, to take up. I like that. It also means to follow. And this adoption will grant you all the inheritance rights. That's why... Paul says in Romans chapter 8, we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. How cool is that? That's what you get when you adopt the one who adopts you. Bow down to worship him then. Then take up and follow him. Will you do that? Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the Christmas story, and it is a familiar story.
I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name that this story would not be so familiar, would not be so familiar it would breed contempt. There are people in this room, Lord, that are angry, some watching online. You know who you are. You resist the truth. You hate it when the error of your theology or your, or your faith is pointed out. I know. I know what it's like to be that way. Would you allow the Holy Spirit who caused the conception of Jesus in the womb of Mary, would you allow, would you, how do I put this? Would you submit to him? Would you say yes and repent of your sin? Some of you are apathetic. The whole Christmas story and everything about Christianity is just sort of ho-hum. Oh, you know, you could, you could discuss points of doctrine, but your life is not a reflection of the glory of God in Christ Jesus in you. And if you would be one who would say, I thank you, Lord, for your grace in my life. I am an adorer. I am one who adores Jesus Christ. I'm a worshiper. Let this new, this old story be fresh and new again to you. Remember the words of another great theologian that's contemporary who said that God spoke to his heart one day, said, I will not be analyzed. I will be, I will be adored and not just analyzed. So fill us with your adoration today, Lord. And I pray for those who have not come to know Jesus in this room, watching online. You, you know who you are. Would you trust him today? Be born into the family of God. Experience by adopting Jesus the adoption of your own life with all the rights that go along with it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.